I'm in competition with myself. And so when there are other restaurants or other businesses that get intimidated because people are opening up, you that should be what drives you to make you better. Like, mm. what can I do to get to the next level? Hello and welcome to Long Story Short, a collection of side hustles, cool jobs, and interesting hobbies from your coffee shop regulars. My name is Eric Bush. I am the host of the podcast and owner of Long Story Coffee. And today I have a super exciting person with me, one of my best friends by choice now, not uh-huh. not by force, but it- <laughs> Jody Ferguson, the owner of Clara B's Kitchen Table the person that we share our space with here at Long Story. Welcome, Jody. Dang, you're natural. <laughs> that was good. I'm so excited to have you here because I dragged her here on her day off, to be honest. She's supposed to be at home sleeping right now. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I like I feel like I know so much about you from like recent year, but I don't really know like the background story. Like every once in a while, I get kind of fun tidbits of like you telling me these crazy kitchen stories that happen, (laughs) which I don't know if we'll get into like it, but like I always reference, you know, the broccoli and pineapple story, which is a favorite. That's wild. Yeah. We might get into that one. (laughs) But no, so Jody, you are from Texas. Yes. Where in Texas? <laughs> so I'm from a small town called Lockhart. It is monikered the barbecue capital of Texas. It has, or I don't know what the rankings are now, but I, for a long time, they had three of the top 10 barbecue restaurants in Texas. It's right outside of Austin, so about 30 miles. So where I'm from, it was very much uh, Hispanic influenced. Yeah. Yeah. I would say my population in my town was like 40% Hispanic, maybe 40% white, and then everyone else. So that that kind of, you probably can see that a lot in our menus and stuff. But yeah, like it was, it was boring growing up there. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, is it kind of same distance, like Belleville to St. Louis? Like, is that kind of like the drive of like, you could easily hop over to Austin on the weekends and hang out or sure, except for in Texas, there's absolutely nothing between each <laughs> municipality. There's just like cows and mesquite trees and dead grass, you know? Yeah. Depending on where you are, of course. But I remember when we got our first McDonald's, I was playing <laughs> softball. I think I was like 11 and you could see the arches like from 10 miles away because like that's how like that yeah flat and nothing else there yeah like, they're yeah. like we got it y'all <laughs> we made it did you guys have a walmart we had a walmart in fact that walmart was featured in a movie called places of the heart or something with natalie portman and sally fields nobody knows this but lockhart is low-key a movie town what? like waiting for guffman what's eating gilbert grape some other things i was like hey that was filmed in my town I had no idea like, oh the faculty with Usher was in my town. It was at my school when I was in high school. It's like, why are y'all here? This place sucks, but whatever. Is it like just because <laughs> it was close enough to Austin and Probably. Like, it had, like a small town feel to it? That right, and it and it was pretty country. But the thing about Lockhart is that they had a lot of pride in in the way that things look. Like if you look at our downtown, it's very historic. They let they take pride in preserving things like that. High school football was really big. I mean, we're in Texas, so our football field looks pretty decent compared to even some small colleges but yeah but didn't have mcdonald's but yeah (laughs) man okay so like early days were you always interested in like food were you like 
four-year-old Jody like climbing up on a stool helping mom. Okay, let's clarify this. So my name is not Clara B, right? No, it's her Jody. Name is not, it is Jody Ferguson. And my mother's name is not Clara. It's Renee. <laughs> Clara B is my grandmother. Renee Bloodworth, my mother, does not cook at all. <laughs> she makes eggs and chicken noodle soup, and that's about it. Clara was the one that cooked, and she was the matriarch of the family. Like, everybody would talk to Clara, and she obviously cooked. You probably read some of the stories, but, like, she was a farm wife basically and people would pass through in pennsylvania through their farm and like she would feed the community so she's not from texas i know originally uh claire's from louisiana we have family in texas it's a long story about how they got there but basically they own farmland in texas and blah 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 but no all, all the cooking that i know is mostly through my mom's friends because once clara died i literally said like who's gonna feed me because my mom didn't cook yeah so my mom's friends, some were from Arkansas, some were from Texas. They all had these influences of food, and I would go to their houses, and I had friends who were from Mexico, Mexico. <laughs> and I would go over to their house, and they would, like, hand roll, hand roll all the tortillas and make the beans all day, and they'd be speaking in Spanish, and I'd be trying to communicate, and I'd be like, <laughs> lick, 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 and they would just laugh at me. But no, it was cool. Like I had such a, a different upbringing as far as like the influences of cooking. But like, uh, how how old were you at this time? Like, were you like six and seven? And yeah, and I would just, just like be in it. And like, you didn't go somewhere else. Like you weren't getting fed that night, or you were or, just, you were just getting your eggs in the morning and your chicken noodle soup at night. <laughs> like, no, she wasn't cooking in the morning either. This was on the weekends. <laughs> oh, <laughs> weekends when it was time to clean the house and the music came on, and then there'd be eggs and bacon and toast, and that's about it. Mm -hmm. But no, I'd go over to uh, everybody else's house and I would kind of see how they were doing, and then I started putting my hands and stuff. And my mom would have everything out of a box or a bag, and I got tired of it, so I started watching the Food Network. I mean, let, let me prefaces i love renee okay mama renee whenever she comes in town she is my favorite so this is no dig on her at all mm -hmm. okay we, we you know no she uh she knows <laughs> she'll so. she'll laugh and be like no she didn't get that from me <laughs> not at all not at all yeah so i mean <clears throat> she said you were watching like cooking shows and stuff like that mm -hmm. too like is is this like real young? Like whenever I would be turning on like cartoons in the morning and you'd be like, it was probably like when I was like 14 or 15. I mean, that's I, still like most 14 and 15 year olds. I don't think like go home and watch Food Network. But so <laughs> let me put it this way. I am. I think with most chefs slash cooks that are like really into what they're doing, mm -hmm. they're not normal people. <laughs> They're not like I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them per se, but you're just wired differently. Yeah. So when I was growing up, I was I played softball. I played volleyball. I played basketball. I played shot put and discus. I was. It, yeah, I was in the newspaper like I was a photojournalist for a little while. I worked at the H.E.B. I mowed grass like I never was still. And so you can see that now that even on my day off, I don't really take a day <laughs> off, but I was always looking for the next thing. Yeah. So it wasn't, I know it's odd that other kids were like that, but I mean. I mean, okay. So then like with all these other things going on, was cooking always like the main passion for things or like, was it something else? Like when you were young in like high school and everything like that, did you think nope. there was a different path or did you not I know? was going to be, I was going to be a judge. 
I was going to be an attorney because I because <laughs> I always like to tell people what to do. And I thought that's what the job was. Yeah. And then when I graduated, I was like, nope, I'm going to be a journalist because I really like to write. And I went to Mizzou. That's why I went to the University of Missouri because I was going to do journalism program. Hated it. I was there for like maybe six months in the journalism program and I transitioned into marketing and business. Also like, hated okay. that. Like, first off, though, how do you get from like Texas to Mizzou? Like, I like I understand like I'm such a local person, I feel like, at heart, where, like, I understand, like, there's certain schools nearby that, like, people look at, and, like, then there's, like, big-name schools that people go to, like, like, do people in Texas know what, like, know about Mizzou? Like, is it big enough for, like... Oh, let me put it this way. Texas like, has the most expats and most colleges than you know. Like, if you go to, if you go to Mizzou, mm -hmm. if it's, if they're not from Illinois, they're from Texas. Really? Yep. Okay. So, like, that was, it, it wasn't common. a weird thing for you to be like, I'm going from Texas all the way to Missouri. It may have been weird because of where I was from in Texas, mm -hmm. I think. A lot of people wanted to stay home and you couldn't get like I already knew when I was probably 10. I was like, I can't be here. I try to travel as much as possible. Small tidbit. So my mom doesn't travel a lot, but she always made it where I traveled. Mm -hmm. So I learned to ski. I learned to scuba dive, like actual scuba dive. So I took a trip on a catamaran out in the Virgin Islands, you know, like we weren't rich by any means, but my mom saved all year so that I could experience these things out in the real world. So that when I came home to Lockhart, like it was boring. Like I didn't want to <laughs> do it. So I knew that I was going to leave Lockhart pretty early on and my mom encouraged it. Mm -hmm. And so I had at least that level of support. But the reason I ended up at Mizzou was because I wanted to go into journalism. And then I took my ACTs. Apparently, I'm kind of smart. <laughs> so they gave me a full ride, you know, to, yeah. to to go there and do that. And then, like, I discovered that, you know, there's a lot of bureaucracy in journalism, which kind of is weird when you think about it. It's supposed to be freedom of speech yeah. and the press and stuff. But, like, but within these parameters. And I was like, no, thanks. There's, like, too many people telling you what you can and can't talk about. Like, yeah. So so you started off in journalism and then you moved into business emphasis and marketing and Spanish literature minor. Oh, what, uh, what does that mean? <laughs> like, so I can read <clears throat> I can read and understand Spanish better than I can speak it. OK. And I really enjoyed a lot of Spanish literature like Isabel Allende was one of my favorites. And so I just kept reading and I somehow ended up with a minor in it so like at this time as you were doing all this business and marketing and stuff like what was the what was the goal like did you know what the outcome was or were you just like i just got to get a degree at this point and like i'm I'll good at this out. like i would go to business class i would go to whatever and i was like this is easy like i would get a's business law all that fun stuff it was boring though and i ended up getting a job one of my friends worked at a bakery and prefacing right before that, yeah, the food at the university sucked at the time. It's terrible, terrible. They would have you pay all this money to eat in the dining hall, and it was it was it was horseshit. And I was spoiled, yeah, because all the people that I grew up with that that Mexican family I was talking about they had Mexican restaurants. Like I would go there after school to eat. So and now you relocated, and to now I'm Missouri, and you're like this is bland, this is awful. So I started cooking in the dorms. And if people gave me $5 to donate, like to 
contribute to the ingredients. Yeah, I would make it and y'all could eat. So like what like hot plates in your in your dorm room? Like what was No, we had like a, a communal kitchen. Okay. So I'd set up a crock pot or whatever. And I only did that a couple times, but then I moved to an apartment and I started cooking for my friends and stuff on a regular basis. So anyway, I ended up working at the bakery. First, I'm just the registered person. And then they're like, oh, you want to scoop cookies? Sure. You want to learn how to roll out this dough? Sure. Next thing you know, I'm pretty much 100% responsible for making the croissants. (laughs) And I'm now going to work at 2 (laughs) a.m. While still in school? Yeah. Man. So then, you know... I remember I did an interview to work at Payless for marketing logistics. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> well, where am I at right now? What this, am I doing? This, this isn't me. And I almost didn't graduate because I was short some kind of elective. You know how you have to have so many points yeah, yeah. or whatever. So I found this one called Career Explore- Explorations. And there was a book they made us read. It was called Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow. So I'm still waiting for the money to catch up with me. But <laughs> but you, you said, I know what I love. Yeah. Uh, so I immediately started applying to all these culinary schools. I got accepted to a lot of them. But then I thought that everybody worked in a real kitchen before they went to culinary school, mm-hmm. even if they went right out of high school. So I applied to work at the university club at the University of Missouri. And the chef there, Chef Daniel Pliska, ended up convincing me to be a part of the apprenticeship program through the ACF, the American Culinary Federation. So basically, you work in a real kitchen for so many hours a week, so many hours in the training log. So you have to basically say, oh, I need 500 hours in sauce making or whatever. And you go to an accredited program, which for me was in Overland Park at the Johnson County Community College. Mm. So I would commute once a week to Kansas City from Columbia, two hours, and I'd be there for 10 hours a day and do all my classes. And then I'd work my 30 to 50 hours a week at the U Club. Was this after you graduated yeah. then? Yeah. Too? Yeah. Yeah. Man. So, so once you graduated, you were like immediately went into all of this? Yeah. We got a train coming by, a rare train here. So you're going to hear that. Yeah. Um, so graduated, went to this apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Were you like, while you were working and doing this stuff, was it like paid or was it? Oh, yeah. Paid? Okay. Yeah, I was paid. <laughs> um, not much. I think it was like seven twenty-five or Cause they, something. Because they were allowed to pay. Like it was like you're learning. Yeah, you're learning. You can get paid this no- nothing wage. Well, but it was still through the university. So like I'm old, right? This was like twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Over over twenty years ago. So you know, seven twenty-five was livable. Are you t- are you kidding me? Like I was rich <laughs> back then. I was just having this conversation with someone I can't even remember, but I said, you know, I lived in Colombia, where. I lived and worked and walked everywhere I needed to be. Mm-hmm. And I made $7.25 an hour, worked, you know, 30 to 50 hours a week. My my whole living expenses, the utilities, the rent, whatever other was like maybe $800 a month. I yeah. was bringing in two grand. Didn't have a car note. Didn't have, because you, you said you went, got a scholarship at Mizzou. Yeah. Right? So you didn't. You so I had, I had minimal student loans because I ended up extending my education with, the yeah. ACF, but and nothing like you, no big student loan payment, no big no nope. car payment, no. And to get drunk in Columbia back then, <laughs> you go to Shakespeare's Pizza, and for four dollars and twenty five cents, you got a pint of beer and a shot of Jaeger. So for thirty bucks, you're eating and you're getting just messed up. And there's your weekend. Yeah. So and that's less than an hour of work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so like living was good. It yeah. was good. So, I mean, I couldn't complain about the money so much, but you know, it was a different time being in the kitchen back then too, yeah. where people would, would call you a fucking idiot and all that stuff that you see on Gordon Ramsay. Like that was yeah. all the, the bear. Whenever yeah. people think about the bear, it's like drinking like the, some of the stuff we still do. That's completely accurate. I had things thrown at me, not at the U club, but at other places that I worked or you had a cokehead owner or whatever. Like I experienced all that. Like so early on the U, U club, mm-hmm. is that what it was called? You said, mm-hmm. so like, is that it was a university sponsored or a college Yeah, so there was an alumni center and then okay. the U Club was in the alumni center. Okay. Yeah. And so like what kind of food and stuff did, did you start off with there? Like was it pretty basic bland like college community center food? No, or? this was the upscale part of the alumni center. So the the chef there, Daniel Pliska, he was certified executive chef through the ACF. So he was legit. And in fact, when I started, I was on a pastry track. So I was predominantly in the the pastry department. And then when the pastry chef left, I ended up taking over. I wasn't that. I wasn't a pastry chef per se because I was yeah. not experienced enough. And, you know. Um, so like there's like different tracks that you can go on. For oh, yeah. Like different types of chefs. and For sure. But, you know, I was focused on that. But I still had to take everything else. I wanted to be well-rounded because, you know, now being a pastry chef, it's 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 hard it's, to find a good one, you said, but then at hard the same to, time. But it's hard to find a job if you are a pastry chef because your skill level is at a certain level, but nobody can afford to pay you because when you go out to eat, how often do you get desserts? Yeah. Probably only for a special occasion, maybe, and half the and, time they give it away. So. And how many, like, just bakery, pastry-focused places are even around anymore? Like, where right. it's like, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Most of it's like a second second thought to them, like... We got good coffee or we got good breakfast or we've got good food and also we have pastries. So, like, you have to be on Nathaniel Reed level, which, by the way, he is also an alum. Mm. He used to work at the university club with Daniel Pliska. Nathaniel Reed is on that level of, you know, this is what we do. Mm. And he does it at that level. But unless you're at that level, I don't see another restaurant having people like that just on staff. So... I just wanted to make sure that I was employable. Right. <laughs> right. I could say, well, I could do that, but I can also do this. And so because I worked at the U Club, they would do like these big events. And one of the big events was, I can't remember what it was called. It was like farm to table type thing. And basically they recruited a bunch of different chefs from the area to come and kind of demonstrate, you know, what they do. And it was all out in the middle of the quad area. And one of them was Chef Bill Cardwell, who owned Cardwell's in Frontenac. Mm. And he was really impressed with my work ethic and everything. And he offered me a job at, in St. Louis. And I took it. And I was not ready <laughs> so like it, for that level. It, 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 was this like right when you were still kind of more pastry, like yeah. bakery focused? And then what, what, did, like, what kind of job was that that you were thrown into? Well... <laughs> how do i put this <laughs> the you get really comfortable where you are mm-hmm. like you know everybody and and you know all the the nuances and what pisses people off and things like that but every restaurant is like its own biodome if you will like the 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 atmosphere the the energy 
the toxicity or the lack thereof. And there were some cool people there, but there were some people who were just like so egomaniacal and, you know, were just so focused on bringing me down. Now, I will, I can say that at the time I wasn't ready for the position I was given. Absolutely not. It was more like I was so impressed with how they treated me. Like they, when I had to do a tasting and they put me up in the hotel next to it. And I was like, oh my God, you know, like, <laughs> Wow. Living the glamorous life. I'm so good, you know, and (laughs) but it's not just about your skill level. It's about your ability to adapt in very stressful situations. I don't think people take into account the reason why the hospitality industry is hurting so much for employees is because it is highly stressful back there. You're trying to produce a product for people. They have no idea how much effort goes into it if you're doing it right. And then you have people treating you like shit and then being like, oh, you're beneath me. But why would I do this all when I can go work at Walgreens for the same amount of money and, you know, not have to deal with it as much, you know? Mm. And we go back to what I said a while ago. You're not right in the head. That is why I do what I do. There's there has to be something in you to look past all that and say, but there's, there's something else beyond it. I don't know what it is. Like you just, you love the food aspect of it. Like you can't, you, you got to ignore almost all that background noise of the environment and everything and be like, you got to focus on the food. Yeah. Even my own employees will say, I don't know how you do this every day. (laughs) I don't know. I, I don't know. There's like, if, if you're really into what you do, you'll get a anxiety in your stomach thinking about like, did this thing get done? Is this going to come in tomorrow? Is this going to taste the way I want it to? These are things that are constantly occupying me. But then saying, what? but what's next? Mm-hmm. You know, it's never over. So. So you were, so you moved on, you got this job. And what were, what was like the, the title that you had? I was sous chef. You were sous chef? Mm-hmm. So I never, I worked the line at the U Club, but I didn't really work the line on the level that they worked it. Like their lunches were like 100 people and our dinners at the U Club might be 75 on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was like coursed and, you know, all la da I mean, how many people were in this kitchen that you were working with then? The new one? Yeah. Probably like seven or eight people on the line. Which and is when crazy. you mean like on the line, is that that is that's the cooking and the assembling part of it? Mm-hmm. So there's a garmage area, saute area, grill area, or broiler area, an oven area, and then the pastry part is on the other side of the wall. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> there's usually at least one pastry person in the back, two if it's really busy, and then they also had a pizza station, so they had a pizza person out front in the bar. Oh area. my god! Yeah, so it's a huge <laughs> operation, and like. <clears throat> You probably heard about on the bear when people talk about like they just constantly hearing the tickets go off. Like that's a real thing. Like you're just like you're traumatized because it's like it's not stopping and it gives you anxiety. You have to work it long enough to like not be able to notice it anymore. So but I think I lasted there maybe five months. I remember Bill Cardwell said to me, you've got to be stupid or crazy to be doing this. (laughs) I'm like, okay. We're like, I see my ACT score, so I know it's not the the yeah. first one. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> what was messed up, though, is that it seemed like a lot of people, that, there were a lot of people there that were good, but there were a lot of people that seemed miserable. Mm-hmm. And I kind of was like, I don't want to necessarily 
be in a place where I feel miserable. And if you've ever had a job that you hated, like really hated, yeah, I would drive to work and it would be raining or snowing or sleet, whatever. And I'm like, I swear, if I fall off this bridge, it'd be the best day ever. <laughs> That's how much I hated it, you know? And I end up developing a hiatal hernia that was so bad <laughs> that uh, I had to go into emergency room. And I, from the time I started working there to the time I left, like in three months, I lost like 50 pounds. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was horrible. And so they had to talk with me like, hey, like this isn't going to really work. And I was like, I agree. And so, so like, like they were they the ones that approached you about? Yeah. It? Like, it, yeah. But I was just like, I have to. You're right. Like, I, I don't like it here. Y'all don't. I'm not doing what you need me to do. And I can't do it here. So yeah. I was let go from there. And then I was still living in Soulard. I was like, I gotta have a job. And I started working at Llewellyn's. I didn't know you worked at Llewellyn's. Which, as, which as one? As a server in Soulard. Okay. If you can't see, she is audibly shaking her head right now. But I, <laughs> I want to go on record that I am not officially a people person. <clears throat> it's okay. Llewellyn's and Soulard is closed down now. They don't exist anymore. So I, There's a couple of really good people <laughs> there. I'm not going to lie. And, but it was, it was less about the people who ran Llewellyn's. It was more about the people who visited. Yeah. I mean, they Just, call it the island of Soulard, I know. Mm. And it's because, you know, there's the people that live there and they never leave. And then there's all the people that vacation there, quotes of like their weekends and partiers. And yeah, well, I started two weeks before Cardinal season. Ooh. And I had never really been a server, server. Like mm. I'd been like a cafe server. It's different, right? Than that. And these people are already drunk at 10 30 in the morning grabbing at you calling you out your name and you're supposed to smile and i'm not a smiley person anyway <laughs> but i'm also i'm an i'm an unfiltered person so if i feel some kind of way i usually say something about it so it's really difficult although i made good money there i i i have to have so much respect for people who do front of the house because some of these people are just awful and they know it but they feel like they're okay to do it because they're a paying customer yep Anyway, I didn't last there long either. I'm also because I saw the conditions of the kitchen sometimes and I was like, I can't, you, you I can't, can't respect it. It's yeah. not, it's just different. Every, like I said, every kitchen is different. So but. like at this time, were you done with your apprenticeship? <clears throat> oh yeah, I'd been done. I'd yeah. been done. I had actually ha hung out at the U club after I graduated and got my, I was a certified sous chef through the ACF. After I got my certification, I was there for maybe a year, mm. year and a half. And then that's when I moved to St. Louis. Okay. So then. You know, but all this time I'm trying to find jobs in the kitchen and, you know, I, I submit my resume and everybody's like, ooh, la la, because I interned at the Peninsula in Chicago and I worked in all their restaurants, even the Latida one where the chef went on to to do, Chef Duffy went off to do big things in Chicago. And so they would see my resume and they'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, we got to get her in and then, or get them in. Cause my name is Jody. That's a unisex name. They didn't even, yeah. And then I show up and they're like, you want to work the pantry? And I'm like, well. <laughs> I mean, if that's what you've got available, like I'll, I'll step in wherever I can, but I always got passed up. Mm. So eventually I applied all the way out in Wildwood from Soulard. That's like 30 miles. Yeah. But I applied as a dishwasher. I was like, I will start at the bottom and work my way up. I have no, I have no pride at this point. It doesn't matter. Just get me in the kitchen. 
The guy goes, no, you are not a dishwasher. I'll put you as a prep cook, see what you do. Okay, cool enough. So that's how it kind of all really began after that. Is that a good kitchen experience? It was like, was the, that your first positive kitchen experience? Did you, do you have any positive kitchen experience? There, there's always good and bad. Yeah. There, there's it was no, nothing like the other one, though, like the stress. I want anybody who's going into culinary school or going into this to, to realize this. There is no such thing as the perfect kitchen. Yeah. There's no such thing because there's no such thing as the perfect chef or the, or the perfect person doesn't exist you just have to find the most balanced one or the one that feels good to you Mm. so you can have kitchens that are super stringent and like you there are kitchens i don't know if you know this that you are employed to actually run between stations like do not waste time you don't get your breaks yes you sleep for four hours and then you come back here. Those kitchens exist, and some people love that. There are oh. people who come in. There was a restaurant that I worked at. It was so filthy that there <laughs> were. I removed the island, and there were probably a year's worth of broken eggshells underneath there. Oh. It was disgusting. But this is their dynamic. This but is like, how they how live. Do those, how do those places make it past like your inspection? health inspectors and stuff? Oh, that's another story for another day. Yeah, but like. Because some inspectors just come in and just look for to make sure your fridges work and there's no active rodent activity while they're there. And then there's some who like will dig into your ass. It just depends on where you are. Yeah. Like, for example, St. Clair County's right in the middle. I think they're they do what they need to do, you know, without being obnoxious about it. But. Yeah, it just that kitchen environment. It was an independent restaurant. The chef there. Why am I having a brain fart of his name? <laughs> oh my god, O'Brien. He was super positive, and like we would listen to music in the kitchen, and he would show me things. And mm-hmm. he had this neurotic morning cook who's out of his mind. Like he was like type A, like I've never seen. And he would work with his tongue hanging out of his head, and. <laughs> But he was so fast. And I was like, look at this guy. Like, what drugs is he on? He was amazing, though. And he ended up being my sous chef because I became sous chef at that restaurant in like six months. Yeah. And then... This is from getting hired on as as a a dishwasher. Yeah. You got to put your money where your mouth is. And that that sous chef, I became the sous chef. And then maybe a year later, I became, excuse me, the executive chef. After John passed, or he didn't pass, I'm sorry. He, <laughs> he moved on. He moved on. He I mean, did not pass. Sounds like <laughs> he moved on. Yeah. And so I I had this kid become my sous chef. And he was all he was notoriously metro and notoriously late. Okay. Okay. But he was the morning person. Yeah. Originally. And back then, if people think I'm mean now, I was a terror back then. I had no <laughs> tolerance. I You could hear me screaming from outside. I'm not proud of it, but that's who I was. Mm-hmm. And I said to Andrew, I said, listen, I'm going to tell you one more time. I don't care if you're two minutes late or five minutes late. I don't care what shift it is. You're going home. And it was a Friday night. And he shows up at like 3.06. He was due at 3. I'm like, get out. <laughs> and he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, we'll just suffer without you. This is a choice you made. You let down the team. I didn't let down the team. I told you what the parameters were. You decided to do what you wanted to do. This is what I'm going to do. I don't make threats. 
And so from there on out, he was on time and he you could not kick him off the line. He is also one of those people who are out of their mind. I swear to God, he was having a stroke on the line. It was so hot. Like his face looked like he had palsy. Like it was like frozen. And you're like telling him like, you got to sit down and stuff. I was like, you need to go in the cooler. You need. He's like, I got it, chef. His like hand is starting to curl. (laughs) I was like, I swear to God, at least you only weigh 130 pounds or something. I can just kick you off. But Jesus Christ, like go in the cooler. And so anyway, like he just ended up being so amazing. And so I left probably after like five years at, at table three. You were there for a while. I was. I was. It was fun, but I, I wanted to see what else I could do. And, you know, it's independently owned. The owner obviously had, like, Beth Williams. She taught me so much as far as being organized and things. But, you know, your time is your time. Yeah. <clears throat> Andrew Simon, by the way, is the chef of Adira now. Oh. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> so he's at least... Is he still the same way? Do you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's calmed down now, I think, a little bit. No, he's still out of his mind. Yeah. <laughs> but he's good at what he does. And he's he's always, like, trying to learn. And, and that's the type of chef that, like, you want to have in your corner. Yeah. You know, somebody who's like, what What about this? What about this? Even if it sounds like it's completely not going to work. Like, you don't know. At least you're pitching ideas. Like, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. So, I mean... That's part of it, too. Like, this job is never really done. So from there, you were... Uh, what was your next venture at? Ameristar Casino. <laughs> okay. Well, what made you, like, what... I mean, I feel like the Ameristar, there's, like, so many different styles of restaurants there. And Exactly. That's like, why I went. Like, did you... Are you able to work at every single one of them when you go? Or do no, you hire for, like, a certain spot? Right. So, I mean, just like anywhere, you know, you're hired for a, sp- a certain spot, but obviously if there's another outlet, as we call it, that needs help, you can assist. But, I mean, it's a whole thing. It's because they're almost like their own entity within an entity because they all have their own streams of revenues, books, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> I started off in the buffet. One of the first things I do when I move into any restaurant or any organization, I go through their coolers. I want to see... What kind of organization, what kind of cleanliness, what kind of product we're working with? Is it a bunch of pre-made? Do your cooks actually organize and know what you have? Are you rotating? Things like that. And let's just say it wasn't my level of cleanliness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, the thing is they are also union. I mean, there's good and bad with union, but... Well, you know, the whole like, well, that's not my job. But it's like, yeah, but our job is always to provide safe food and comfortable food. So it is your job. It is kind of your job. Like, I understand it's not specifically written, but, you know, what kind of dirt bag are you to serve people rotten food or whatever? So anyway, they put me into pearls after the buffet. That was cool for a minute. But I did not like the bureaucracy. I did not like... I just didn't like it. It wasn't for me. And so I was then, I moved to Marriott at the Grand, another union property. Yeah. Cleanliness was not there. And this is just like an ongoing thing with like big kind of style kitchens. Like, I'm going to say it like this. The reason why a lot of chefs are either really good or really bad is what sets them apart is that they care. And when you have a hotel or a casino the food is an amenity 
Like, mm. it has to be there. Like, people need a reason to stay and spend more money, but it is not the main reason that they are there. No. You don't go to a casino to eat most of the time. You go there to to gamble. I, I mean, you know, all you can eat crab legs, right? But Right. But you know how <laughs> they get people to eat by giving them points for wasting all yeah, their money yeah. on the floor, right? Yeah. So it's an amenity. It's not a focus. So it was it was no different at the Grand at that time, which is why they brought me on, was because it seemed to be off at the wayside. It was it was filthy, to be honest. They, they needed somebody to help realign that and like organize and yeah, put it back together. I will. I mean, I'm not trying to bad talk because it was a different time, different chefs. Everything was it was different back then. But mm-hmm. like. That was probably the worst cooler that I've seen. The first week I was there, I probably threw away like $1,200 worth of product because I'm like, y'all are not rotating anything. I mean, I, it's nowhere near, I think, as like important. But I mean, working in the beer industry, I know I've seen the same things where you, I walk into the back of, you know, some of these liquor stores, some of these restaurant coolers. Cause I mean, I got to see some restaurant coolers too. I was sales manager for, for Schlafly and I handled bars and restaurants and you know where they store all their six packs and kegs mm-hmm. usually in the food coolers yeah you go back there and that's the first thing i've noticed too and i me and audrey knew which places we would and we wouldn't eat at and it was based on like the fact i was like well those six packs of schlafly pale were sitting next to some you know old meat and rotten eggs and we're not gonna get our food there so <laughs> i know it's just it's it's mind-boggling to me because like i said this and in- this is not an easy industry no. you know it's it's a lot of work to to come up with a product that people consume in literally less than 10 minutes mm-hmm. but why in the world would you choose to be a cook or a chef in this industry for the amount of money you get paid when you could go do something else that is easier and make more money. Like that's what I'm saying. You have to have a passion for it. Mm -hmm. And I think right now the, the trouble is that we're just trying, it's so hard to find people who are passionate about it anymore that we hire anybody, myself included and hope for the best. Yeah. But I'd sooner just not have any employees than to let people just serve crap food or to let things go rotten or whatever, because at the end of the day, that's my money. Yeah. And that's my other employees' money. So it's also my name. Actually, it's my grandmother's name. So I, I can't let it slide. Yeah. So you were you were at the Marriott. How long mm-hmm. were you? I was only there for like a year, not even a year. You you I mean, even at this point, we're at like what, restaurant number five? Yeah, something Maybe, like that. Something like that. Well, I got recruited by the Ritz Carlton, which is owned by the Marriott mm-hmm. <clears throat> to be a chef or not, which basically is a roundsman chef. So wherever I'm needed. This is maybe my ignorance. Like Ritz Carlton is like, it's like a worldwide name. Mm -hmm. But like, is this just like there's certain hotels that just are allowed to use that name like Ritz Carlton? Like, I know there's different ones in different places, right? Like, so quick synopsis, Marriott brand owns 31 different hotels. Okay. Okay. Because they bought out star whatever it's called the sheraton brand they bought them out and that's what made them so big and within that brand you have you have brands that'll get franchised and some that some that won't like all your residents in and things like that hello how you doing (laughs) all the resident ends and things like that can be franchised the ritz carlton i think only like three or four of them are franchised the rest of them are owned by the ritz carlton and when i say that they're actually Marriott manages the property versus owns the property. Oh, okay. 
that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like they just need somebody on the back end that like has the capabilities of like running big hotels. Right. So the Ritz Carlton will come in and say, We'll run your ho- your property as a Ritz Carlton. You'll pay us the royalties or whatever fees they call it mm-hmm. for basically using our name and but we'll manage it and then we'll figure out who gets paid what as far as property or revenue, profit, blah, blah, blah. So the Ritz-Carlton St. Louis property is owned by certain individuals, but it's managed by the Ritz-Carlton. Okay. Okay. And so, like, is there a quality that, like, when I think of Ritz-Carlton, you know, I think Hyatt, like... Sure, That's my thought, like... Yeah, I mean, they... That is what separates the Ritz-Carlton from... The Holiday Inn. It's the service component. That's I mean, the number one thing. Whenever, you know, you, I look, I, because I, I was one of their beers reps for them too. And like, I always, like, their dining spaces are always very elegant. Mm-hmm. You know, there's usually a couple of them. I know they usually have like their whiskey and cigar club. Right. And they got their regular bar and they got the actual dining area. And like, you don't, it's not just guests of the hotel that'll eat there too. Right. Like, people locally will go to that restaurant, right? right. Yeah. So that was no different. I I was, as the chef tour not, I could work in the fine dining. I worked in the banquets, sushi, the lobby bar was mm-hmm. where they did the sushi. I didn't ever work out doing sushi, but I would help the garmage in the back. So that's what I did. But one of the things... <laughs> People probably don't know this about me, but when I'm not super stressed or trying to do the job of 12 people, I actually am pretty organized. And so that was probably one of the things that helped me elevate to that next level. And that's how I became the executive sous chef is just, you know, obviously I have a work ethic above a lot of other people. But on top of it, I'm highly organized when I have the ability to do so. And so I was there for three years Mm -hmm. and then the pandemic hit. Yeah. So, and I mean, and that's like at this, so from like culinary school all the way to this point, like, was you, was your main like mindset of like, I'm going to work in kitchens my whole life? Or did you ever have the idea of like, this is all just going to lead up into me doing something on my own? My aspiration If it weren't for the fact that I met my husband, I would probably be somewhere else in the world. My aspiration was like to travel around Mm -hmm. and just see what I could see. Like, like, were you in kitchens, though? Like, Mm -hmm. was that the idea? Like, I'm going to go work and like be basically like a traveling chef around and like pick up jobs for a while in different places. And and then I'm bored of this place. Now I'm going to go to another different country or different part of the states. And yeah, because I've always I'm not. I am now, but I wasn't a homebody back then. I wanted to see, I want to experience. I enjoy having, I, of course, I love eating things that are familiar to me, but I also love to try new things. Oh, yeah. So, you know, if you stay in one area, you're eventually going to try everything there is to try. So time to move on. But, you know, I will say even since moving to St. Louis, you know, in the beginning, it was all toasted ravioli and whatever. <laughs> crappy pizza i'm sorry and, and I'm, on, I'm, I'm team anti-emo <laughs> sorry <clears throat> but then like over the years like to see that progression of people moving in and like having different like vietnamese has always been really good here but now you're starting to see like 
more African and different levels of Thai and things like that. Like, it's really cool to witness. So I'm just waiting for it to kind of transition a little bit more on this side of the river. That'd be great. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'd be traveling otherwise. But then I figured because when I started working at Marriott, what appealed to me was the fact that I could transfer properties. Mm -hmm. So I can go to, you know, Bali or if there's an opening at that in that kitchen you can just say hey like i'm interested and hope that they'll say thumbs up go ahead yeah so they basically have a career resource portal if you will they'll say hey like the busy season for colorado is this time to this time and we need staff and but we're slow at the time so st louis will send their people out to colorado and vice versa like there's that program so that's what i was kind of looking forward to but you know things change yeah i mean you said pandemic hit and like, did you, was there like a gap that happened? Like, did you leave an actual kitchen and you were like, when the pandemic hit, were you still working in a kitchen or like, did they send you home? Or is it like, we got no guests, there's nobody here kind of deal. Like, So what ended up happening was that they started to like, kind of do a, they'd start furloughing people, but like on a rolling basis, it wasn't like all at once. There was eventually a big, like, let go of everybody. Yeah. But I was one of the last ones there as far as like in my level. And they ended up keeping like maybe five cooks to work for because there were still guests coming. And did, we do have a couple or at least one resident that I knew of that actually lived in the Ritz Carlton. So they still had to be fed. Yeah. But we were all thinking that, oh, you know, this will be over in like two months and we'll all go back to work. So we were, I was still getting paid once a week, like uh, getting paid one day a week. Plus whatever vacation I might have had Mm -hmm. and then whatever my unemployment was with the idea that I was going to go back. And I even went back for two weeks to cover my boss who went somewhere. But then, you know, I eventually got let go, you know, and even before then, though, I thought it might be coming. So I started to think about doing the food truck. Yeah. That like that was a thought that was kind of playing in the back of your head for it. Yeah. I just, I was really disappointed being in Belleville. I felt like even before, (laughs) even before the pandemic, there was like nowhere to really eat breakfast. That is a hundred percent. Like I've always really felt that like there's a few good spots that are like, like hidden gems around here that you can go and go to every once in a while. Like there's a little diner on the West end that I enjoyed going Mm. to like mom and pop place. And Back way before Bread Co. was a fast food place, it seemed like it was the nice place to go and sit down and get a little, you know, breakfast pastries and things like that. But then, yeah, I mean, compared to what was growing in St. Louis, we had nothing. Like, Yeah, I lived <laughs> next to Half and Half. Oh, my God. When, I, when in the beginning, that place was amazing. I mean, I haven't Webster been Webster or Clayton? I went to Clayton because okay. I lived in the Loop. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been in forever, so I can't attest to anything that's I mean, going I, on now. But when when they first opened, I was like all over that place. That, that was place like was one amazing. of my like like that was like this is like one of the nicest breakfasts I've ever had whenever they because first opened. It was <laughs> different. Like I I of course I'm spoiled to the degree that I know how to make eggs and bacon anyway. Most mm-hmm. people do where they should, but I'm not going out to eat to have eggs and bacon. I want an experience. I want something different. I want somebody's perspective on breakfast that may be different than my own, but can become mine. Oh, yeah. They're like skillets that they were doing there, too. Yeah. Just like they had oh, like the a Brussels salmon bracket. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was so good. Yeah. 
And I mean, I I remember because other than that, it was, you know, you wouldn't think about ever inviting people to go out to breakfast. Right. It was like we go to get lunch or we go to get dinner. Like you don't go to get breakfast. Right. And it was just like that was the thing to do. And so, like, there was nothing like that over here. Yeah. And even for a few restaurants that are, were starting to do breakfast or brunch on the weekends, like, you could tell it was just, like, they're trying to add to the revenue stream, which I can't be mad about that. But, like, at the same time, you could see that it was an afterthought. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. I'm not going to lie. It's a lot to do all the things that people want you to do. Yeah. People don't realize how it much It takes effort. the whole kitchen. It takes probably a whole different set of ingredients that you have to carry at all times because... I mean, you don't use those things for every other lunch and dinner meal, right? No, like, no. I mean, I see how many eggs you bring. <laughs> I don't know, like the the crates of like hundred packs of eggs, a hundred and eighty in a case, and and yeah, they don't last very long. And you bring in five, six cases, yeah, twice a week. Yep, yeah. <laughs> like, and even then, I still might go out and get more eggs. You know, it's yeah. it's never ending. We go through at least 100 pounds of bacon a oh week. My, yeah, that Wenemans man that just drops off yeah. cases and cases of bacon. Yeah, so, you know, let's address the elephant in the room when mm -hmm. people talk about, you know, Clara Bees being super expensive. <laughs> let's, let's just yeah. let's talk about this. So we our bacon is not that crappy bacon that you can get from Restaurant Depot that you buy, you know, for $50 a case. It is from a local butcher, Winnemans, out in... How do you say that? Le, le, oh, uh, St. Labori. Yeah, I can never say that right. St. <laughs> Labori. It's it's phenomenal bacon. Mm -hmm. My sausage, though, is made from Kenrick's, and Kenrick's is over in St. Louis. And I approached them one time. I was like, listen, I want my own pork sausage that's got a lot of black pepper and a lot of garlic. H hook me up. And that's where I get my sausage from. So if you're wondering, like, why it is that we charge as much is because I'm not paying $2 for this sausage. I'm paying, like, five sixty nine a pound mm -hmm. for this, for breakfast sausage. And then I, I mean... I watch you even with like the vegetables that come in. It's like it's like the movies whenever I see those people in the kitchens and like you're looking in the cases and you're like picking out which ones are good, which ones are bad. Yeah, like, like we we pay for quality. It does make a difference. You're like, why are these eggs so good? Because instead of paying $20 a case, I pay $43 a case because it comes from a local farm. Mm -hmm. The reason the greens were so good is because it came from a farm. Yeah. Like, we try to get as much local stuff as possible. I, In fact, I remember there was somebody who made a comment about our spicy honey chicken being too expensive. Well, I was ripping people off is what they said. You know how much honey costs per pound? I mean, first off, let's just get on the honey because I know you let's hooked me up with your honey, honey guy. <laughs> I have a honey guy. Okay. Yeah. Kurt, blessed, right? Yes. Blessed Bee Company. If you want to know why this the scorpion honey is is so delicious, it's so good. I refuse to get it from anywhere else. I try to buy some other cheaper hot honeys and they just don't do. They just don't do. And you can tell the difference. But that honey is $100 my cost a gallon. Yes. That means for me to put that spicy honey on your chicken biscuit, it cost me, just the honey, cost me $1.75 <laughs> to just put it on the biscuit. Yep. The biscuit itself that we make by hand with all butter, buttermilk, and cream, mm. each one of those biscuits cost me 
about a dollar fifty raw, not even the baker who who gets paid way above minimum wage. <laughs> okay. So right now, without the chicken, you're already at what, five dollars? Yep, close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and the chicken breast is what? Two fifty? <laughs> but you okay, so it's seven fifty eight dollars now. Like, now why are you charging me eleven? Well, the, the other three dollars has to do what? Utilities, insurance, leave, insurance, taxes, yep, <laughs> unemployment. <laughs> like yeah. the list is yeah. long, so, and it's not. And what I it said, I I don't normally respond to people in their comments. Yeah, on reviews, like you give me a two star, you didn't like it. We're not for everybody. I get it. It's fine. But don't tell me I'm ripping people off because you have no idea how much we have to pay in order to stay afloat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the margins are so razor thin in the restaurant industry. So you said, come over to my house, come see how I'm living and tell me I'm ripping you off. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If you think that I'm like, I got this lavish lifestyle because of how, because I made an extra dollar off of you today. (laughs) Was it yesterday or the day before? I was like, look, there's a hole in my sock. Yeah. (laughs) I was like. To be fair, I think I've had these since college. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm really living it up. (laughs) No, nobody's ripping you off, but we are providing you top quality ingredients. Mm -hmm. And so in in earnest, I'm not really charging you enough for that chicken biscuit, but I want to make sure that you guys get addicted to it. And then like crack the first taste is free. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) So like, so on that side of things, like whenever you first, so you you got the food truck, right? Mm -hmm. Like. First off, that was probably the big hurdle. Was it set up for everything that you needed or like was what the it... truck? Yeah. Oh, I had a belt. Okay. There's a place called El Hajj tra- Design. I don't know. El Hajj over in Manassas, Virginia, which is right outside of Washington, D.C. You they have the trucks like that are blank. Mm-hmm. They like these are the sizes. This is the year. This is the mileage. These are the floor plans you could have. This is the equipment you could have. And this is the price. And so we did all that with them, including the wrap. It was all in 43 grand. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I still had to transport it back over here and all that fun stuff. So that that part actually was probably the easiest part of the food truck experience ever. <laughs> everything get, Getting the truck and everything. Yeah. Getting it okay with St. Clair County was easy. St. Lewis County, on the other hand, not so much. <laughs> but once you get it done, it's it's fine yeah. as long as you're not, you know, a dirt bag. The hardest part was and still is having people know about you. So, like, when the truck originally opened, it was a brunch truck right yep. off the bat, right? Yep. And then, like, what was what was your first event? Do you remember? <laughs> it was okay. So, I was freaking out because I couldn't find a commissary. And I finally got the Union United Methodist Church to let me use their kitchen because they were closed for COVID. Okay. And because you got to, this is the thing with food trucks, right? You got to have a home base. Yes. You cannot cook off the truck, technically. I will tell you right here and now, there are plenty of places that don't follow the rules (laughs) and you either live, learn to live with it or, you know, you don't. But not every place is, you know, on the up and up. But yes, technically, you're supposed to have commissary. And, I decided to do like a grand opening. Mm-hmm. The problem is I tried to run the food truck like you would run a kitchen. And it does because that's not... your whole that was your whole background, right? right. Like <laughs> Oh, you make the grits like to order on the truck. You make this to order on the truck. Next, you know, people are waiting an hour <laughs> for their breakfast. 
Yeah. I'm like, I swear it's coming. Like, I'm crying on the inside. I eventually cried on the outside. There was a lot of crying. In the so what, what was the first one that you... That was over at, actually, in the parking lot. It was a grand opening. And then I, I invited all these people. And I was like, oh, we're going to make, like, five grand. You know, because you hear about all these people. <laughs> and I, I think I made, like, 700 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How many people did you have crammed on the truck for that first day? I think it, like, it was only four of us yeah. but only three actually in the truck and then there was somebody outside and how was like the experience like because was that that was the first time like full go of like cooking on a truck and not in the kitchen too, right right, like, right. How, was that a learning curve yeah <laughs> well luckily though the we parked at the commissary kitchen basically so we can go back and forth mm -hmm. but you learn pretty quickly like if you forget things like you got to come up with stuff like, for example, we were doing some kind of barbecue dish and we needed barbecue sauce and we left the barbecue sauce at home. <laughs> and I was like, crap, what are we going to do? Literally, I was like, there's ketchup, there's Dr. Pepper, and we got sugar packets and a little bit of mustard. You, Yeah. You made a little homemade barbecue sauce for us? I mean, you do what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> this is really, really good. Where, is this a whole recipe? Like. <laughs> Do you still use that recipe to the day? I, no, I don't. Oh, I don't. I was like, I was hoping there was like a spin on like a Dr. Pepper barbecue sauce. I mean, I do like have that. a cola barbecue sauce that's coming on the dinner thing that's this week. But yeah, yeah, no, like that was the type of stuff that you would learn or like, oh, we don't we don't have any water. What do we do? Like something happened, something busted, something broke. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you, you everything? You just have to be able to pivot no matter what happens because that you and the trucker that's it there's no backup there's no like oh let's go run to the store because you can't take the whole operation with you yeah like like hey we're gonna close our windows real quick and drive this off the parking lot to go get some stuff and we'll park it right, right. back and open it back <laughs> right you're just sol or you figured it out yeah okay so like that was the first one was at united methodist right mm -hmm. like then from there like I know there's a couple like food truck places like St. Louis has got a couple different spots like they do food truck Fridays in downtown mm -hmm. St. Louis and then there's oh god I'm not I'm trying nine to mile nine mile which mm -hmm. is a big food like is that kind of like where you were planning to set up or did you yeah so I will say that what was really cool is that the food truck community on this side oh actually on both sides of the river but on this side you know once they figured out that I was opening they reached out and they were like, hey, you know, these are the places that we go to, you know, when we were starting, you know, maybe try the auto auction or try the piece by piece, mm -hmm. you know, go over there, you know, see what happens. Or people will be like, hey, you can set up in our lot. And I tell you, there'll be days that we didn't even make 50 bucks. Just, And I like I spent 150 to be there. But, yeah. I, you know, and it was just like, crap. Well, nobody... <laughs> And and this is probably why you see me react this way. Nine times out of ten, people will come to my window and be like, "Do you serve chicken wings?" <laughs> no, why is that? Because the name of the and style of the truck. Like, what is it like? I didn't know. There's cactus on the truck. It like, says Claire B's. It doesn't say chicken wings. Yeah. It doesn't say cluck cluck. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what do you think is the reason? Like, I don't know. But it's like people around here are obsessed with chicken wings, which is cool. But like, for real, how many places can you get chicken wings? Why are you bothering me about it? I mean, you go to the gas station and get chicken wings. Yeah. I mean, you can go to a p any pizza place. You can get chicken wings. Any, any uh, bar? Yep. Why are you bothering me about chicken wings? No, I have biscuits. <laughs> Oh my God! You're charging like $6? yeah. I got a, I got a boneless chicken wing that's on a bun. 
I was like, why are you bothering me with this? This is what I serve. Oh, well, this is too expensive. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, this is not a hobby. I'm trying to make money, but Mm -hmm. okay, cool. You know? Cause I mean, I remember like my first introduction to you was at the Vine Street Market in O'Fallon. Oh, okay. Yep. And I don't know if you know, so it was like that first year that I was setting up doing like our little coffee stand at the market and like we'd have hit or miss weekends. Like it was right after COVID and like, you know, the farmer's market, it would really depend on how people were feeling that week, whether they were comfortable going out or not. And I remember one of my friends, he was, he was like, oh, like, hey, Claire Bees is setting up this weekend at like the market. You guys going to have a good weekend. I was like, all right, like, you know. I'll trust you. Like we got a brunch spot set up next to us. It's way better than a chicken wing spot set up next to us <laughs> while we're trying to sling coffee. You know, I just remember that line that you guys had. I also remember looking at you guys inside the truck and thinking you were going to have a mental breakdown <laughs> <laughs> because I'm pretty sure like my, my memory, we did so good. And it was, I think partially in fact that you guys were so busy that you had like such a long wait. People were just sitting on the curb next to our coffee stand and like they'd get their first one and then they'd be like, I guess we're still waiting on the food. Should we just go get another coffee? while we <laughs> Like we sold people like two, three rounds of coffee. And like, I remember I went up there and I got your, your duck fat biscuits and gravy uh-huh. and I was like, damn, okay, this is worth that wait. Like I was like, and people would be like, oh my gosh, there's like a long line. People are waiting. Like, should we, you know, wh- what do you guys think? Of? Like, we would tell everybody that, no, trust me, it's worth it. Like we got like, I had like my little bowl of, of it there. I was like, you see this right here? Like just wait your 45 minutes. It's going to be worth <laughs> yeah. it. I, trust me. Yeah. Like, like, was that kind of how it was in the early days? Like, was it just like trying to figure things out so much that it. In the beginning, like I said, nobody knew who we were. And we were one of the first breakfast trucks in fact that was how i got any money from any bank nobody would give me money for anything except for the truck i was like bomb banking on the fact that there are no real brunch trucks Mm -hmm. you know really activated i think by that time i think honeybees had started doing their thing at tower grover had been doing it but not at the level they're doing it now obviously luckily like far enough away from you guys right right no it wasn't busy in the beginning um I don't know when it happened or like I try to tell people this is a whirlwind experience Mm -hmm. because where I'm where I am right now, I don't think should have happened for another three years. Mm -hmm. Like this was not a slow growth. This was like a boom. And like I'm just like running, trying to keep up. So I can't honestly answer when that happened. When When we first went to Vine Street, I think we were busy. We were way busier than we anticipated because we had never we never been to a farmer's market, really. Yeah. You never like had a real early morning kind of event. Which, no, like, not like that. No, no. eight, a, no eight a.m. event. Where people were actually there at eight a.m. Like they were there when the people were setting up, basically just waiting. Yeah. And then we were so different than anything that had been there that people were like, "Oh, okay, well, we'll try it." And then next thing you know, they're like, "Oh my god, are you gonna have shrimp and grits next week? Are you gonna do this?" I'm like, I didn't bring enough people the first time. I don't. Need, I had maybe five people total. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, not really much better than what I have now, but trying to to figure out like okay well now we have to downsize the menu because one of the problems was i was running it like a restaurant menu when i really should have only had like five things and so once we got that down we were able to like manage it a little bit better i also wasn't making things ahead of time 
that's a trick. So if you're at a food truck and you see that your food comes out in like five minutes or less, it's because their food is already made. Yeah. Like there's certain things I know like that you guys were like still making up fresh, but like. Yeah. Like I can't, I'm not going to make you like hotel pans of eggs and think that I'm going to be able to serve it to you. Like we're making the eggs on the yeah. truck. Like I'm dropping them on the griddle, you know? And that was it was different than a lot of other places were doing. So that's why you waited because the food is fresh. It's kind yeah. of a a thing of mine. Serving slicing fresh those food. biscuits open, even if the biscuits are made, you're still slicing them open. Yeah, putting them on the grill and getting them nice and crisp. Yeah, like because if you split them ahead of time too much, they get dry. Mm-hmm. You know, so like it's just these little things, and it's like, well, you'll wait or you won't. Yep. So like from there, you how long did the food truck run before you made mm-hmm. the first jump into? I was forced into the first jump because <laughs> the church started to open back up and they're like, we need our kitchen back because we were only supposed to be there in the mornings. But then we started picking up catering events. Then we started picking up night events and they're like, you're here too much. And I understood, you know, we, we were taking up a lot of space. Yeah. You basically owned the kitchen at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. And so I was like, oh crap, we got to find a place to go. And there were no places around here that a were ready for like a kitchen mm-hmm. <laughs> or we could afford like, they would show us properties and I'm like, this is like 200 seats. Like I was thinking like 50 seats, mm-hmm. <laughs> like at the most, like, I don't want to do more than that. And even then I only wanted the kitchen to serve as a commissary for the food truck because like I you- did, I did not, I was not ready. And I did not think that we could do a restaurant. So even when we opened on main street, the yeah. idea was that was going to serve mostly as a commissary. And then the people who passed by who wanted biscuit sandwiches or burritos, they could get them, but we weren't going to be popular in that way. You were mistaken. <laughs> in the beginning, we were slow. And yeah. Nobody knew we were there. And then, you know, a couple articles come out. Ian Froh likes us. George May, he likes us. Couple of foodies tell their friends. Yeah. Next thing you know, on the weekends, you can't even walk in the place. Because I mean, what there was eighteen seats in there. There was twenty four, <laughs> <laughs> not including the outside. They were tight. They were tight. I got them in there though. Yep. And even <laughs> I knew my regulars so much mm-hmm. that you know I know their order before I even I could hear their voice and I knew what they were going to order mm. because the kitchen was literally right there in the dining room, basically. Yep. And I remember when my customer, my my regular started to turn around and leave. Oh, like like, they'd walk in and they'd see. And I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. But like at that time, Mm -hmm. like you said, you were just not planning for it to be a restaurant style, right? No, No, because at this time, we're still trying to run a restaurant and do the food truck. So I might work 80 hours now, but back then it was like 120. Like I was... I'd sleep for four hours and then like try to set up the food truck and get up early to make biscuits, smoke brisket, whatever, and then jump on the truck, try to make sure the the three people that are left behind can handle it for like three hours, mm-hmm. go on the food truck, hope to make the money that was worth it to do all this, come back, clean up, break down, prep for the restaurant and the food truck the next day. How many days a week was the one downtown open? I mean, I just, that was my Saturday, Sunday spot, but like, was it? Uh, I was only open four days a week. So was that Wednesday or Thursday through Sunday? Yeah. Yeah, that was, man. Like, that was, I knew as soon as, like, like I said, I, I was introduced to you from the food truck at the Vine Street Market. And then 
as soon as I saw you guys open downtown, like I started going there. I know because Marie would answer the phone. Mm-hmm. And she, what do you want, Eric? <laughs> Which like, it's so funny because it's that whole thing of like, they, you, you, like you guys know who your regulars were. Like Marie knew who I was. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was caller ID or just she recognized the number at that she point. Might've. But, <laughs> like, she might have. I mean, we know our people but, like we were saying the other day it was it was Monday and we're like, Ashley did not order her lunch today. We hope yeah. she's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, I think that's one of the, my favorite things that I didn't realize is going to be my favorite thing. Like Ron, mm-hmm. me and you both know Ron and like he's switched it up on us in the new year. <laughs> did you see that? I was like, what? No tacos? You're on to the, the breakfast sandwich now. Huh? Oh, my God. Yeah. He came up and he ordered. He always gets a sugar free vanilla latte from us mm-hmm. and he ordered a sugar free mocha and then i was like ron what are you doing he's like i don't know i thought it switched up i was like well you're still getting your tacos right and he's like i think i'm gonna get a salad i was like what yeah he did what? that the other day too and i was like what okay <laughs> yay but like no i mean i i love that that like people you get to know so many people and like there's like a kind of community around it mm-hmm. which is fun yeah i mean did you see like a lot of those people that started off there like did they all come kind of transition over here too or i would say only half because really? people thought we had closed closed even though it said in the window we moved yeah people thought we closed so like maybe like four or five months later i didn't know you reopened i was like well did you not follow us because the <laughs> facebook and the social medias and the websites they're still said, going they're still there you know we were closed longer than we wanted to in the transition obviously but like we were still trying to sling. I mean, I still had people messaging me saying, are you not serving food out of the food truck? I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. She's just serving as a wall right now. Yeah. Like, I mean, so then like that whole conversation, I guess, to start on that end, like I know on my end, when I was building this place out and working on the kitchen, like I put out a, a word of like, you know, we're building out a kitchen space, you know, for for lease, like who's interested like, what did that look like on your end of things? Like, were you guys, were you actively searching at the time? Or... Oh, yeah. So probably by the time September hit, hit, I noticed that my rent and my utilities were almost the same, like the cost. Mm-hmm. So you were looking at $3,000. Not including insurance, employees, nothing. I had to, well, because I have that fancy business degree. I can extrapolate (laughs) how many seats I would need at how much money in order to cover that and make any level of money. Yeah. It was never going to happen. Even if I were open seven days a week, I'd be lucky to make $500 a month in profit. And I, and at this point I'm still not making a profit. We're still trying to pay off like all the beginning fees. So when people are like, Oh, you see all this money coming in, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you have to pay off all your debts first, you know? So you know, that's why you hear that most restaurants don't turn a profit for three to five years, depending on how big it is. Ours will probably be a little bit sooner because we didn't have to put as much money up front as other places who are building it from scratch, like yeah. the building, like the, the ground up. So anyway, in that old space, I pretty much determined that we would have to make about $30,000 a month to be profitable there. But with the size of the operation, it was never going to happen. So we were looking for a new space Anyway, I didn't think I was going to look for it that soon. Mm-hmm. I figured I would probably like let it ride another six months or so and then like really try to look. 
But then it was like, kismet, I'm looking in the Belleville News Democrat. And I'm like, look at that. And Marie goes, hey, I know that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's so-and-so. Like, Tommy knows him. And I'm like, okay, okay. I was like, well, you know. And then I don't know how we figured out that you were my neighbor. I think that happened farther down the line. Yeah. I don't even think we realized that. Uh, Me me and Jody, like, live, like, four doors down from each other, which is crazy. But... I mean, and on my end of things, like as we were doing this, I even remember talking to Belleville News Democrat and they were like, what kind of person do you see in this kitchen space? And I said, if we just find somebody that was at the like the quality and level of like Clara B's to move in here. (laughs) I was like, you don't have to put that in the article. Like, I don't need you saying like we want somebody like Clara B's. But but then like, yeah, getting that phone call from from you, I think it was initially Mm because I think Marie Marie's husband reached out and like got everyone mm-hmm. in contact and everything like that. Yeah. And I get a call and I was like, Audrey, Audrey, Clara B's just called me. They want to, they want to move in. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I mean, it was, I think it was such an exciting thing on my end. And like, I just never expected because it was so soon from your other place opening. Like, yeah, this was that, this is the, the gift and the curse, right? Mm-hmm. Again, we were not supposed to grow that fast. This was not all supposed to happen so fast. Put it in perspective, I've opened a restaurant twice in less than a year. I do not <laughs> recommend it for anyone. You've um, had a food business three times, three times. in the last <laughs> three years. Yeah. Um, it has been a, a beautiful struggle, as they call it. But yeah, even opening the first one, I'd had knee surgery. Like right when we moved in. Yeah. And so, and there's ice on the ground and everything. And I'm still trying to do everything. Like I'm not busted and it didn't matter. I, I was, if you see pictures of me like sitting on a stool and I was in front of that like little $40 Oster griddle. Yeah. That was because my knee was still messed up. And then this time around, you know, obviously with all the, the chaos and the struggles of trying to get this place mm-hmm. running and yeah. But I mean, like, all right, at the end of the day, what's your favorite, like, what's your favorite thing about doing what you do right now? Like, what is it that still, like, gets you up in the morning? <laughs> what's next? You know, yeah. like, we were just talking about how difficult it's this week is going to be because we got all these people changing their schedules. We don't have enough staff. I really need a, a sous chef, like a real one. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm like, I'm going to finish this with you. I'm going to butcher a brisket. I'm going to smoke pork belly. I'm going to get everything ready for the dinner that I'm so super excited about doing. Mm-hmm. And then after I work all that, I'm going to go to therapy. <laughs> so this is the the what gets you up in the day and gets you excited? Yeah, like, it, <laughs> like it's like making my life harder is it gets it keeps me going. I don't know. Yeah. It's just I don't know. It's it's more like when the dinner is over, I'm I I feel like people are going to enjoy themselves, but it's a weird to describe. It's it's not. I don't need the accolades anymore. We're beyond yeah. that now. Like I'm trying. I'm in competition with myself, and so when there are other restaurants or other businesses that get intimidated because people are opening up, you that should be what drives you. To make you better. Like, mm-hmm. what can I do to get to the next level? What can I do to perfect my craft? Because, yes, it's about making money. But again, like I said, at least three times in this interview that 
there are things that you can do to just make money and have more time to do other things that are your passion. This is mine. So it's crazy passion, but that's what it is. And so that's what gets me up in the morning. I've already planned the the, the February dinner. <laughs> I'm excited for the March dinner, you know? Yeah. And then, it, then it'll be like, oh, well, what else is Claire B is going to do? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I, don't, I don't know how much more capacity my mind has, <laughs> but I'm going to try. Yeah. I think it's just a, you have to be wired that way. Yeah. And that's the way I'm wired. So but then I'm like, so and then in the opposite end of things, like, what's the worst part? Like, what do you paperwork? <laughs> Why is that like everyone's answer to like, it doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's like so monotonous. Is it just because that's not how we're wired? Like personally, I'm like to sit still and look at numbers and like there's no dynamic in it. Maybe I'm not. I may be consistent in some of the food that I serve, but I'm not consistent in in other things. And I like it that way. Yeah. I like not being boring or status quo, but the numbers are boring and status quo. Like I know that, I mean, if I'm doing my job anyway, the way I'm supposed to be doing, I know that it's going to be slower the first quarter. It's going to mm-hmm. pick up in the second. It's going to be a show in the third. And I'm going to be waiting for my vacation come the fourth. I already know that that's going to be the trend. So, yeah. but I still have to review these numbers to make sure they're on, on point. Mm-hmm. I hate that. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of that. You got to yeah. look at them no matter what. And I, the other part that I don't like about what I do is, I don't understand why people find it necessary to tear down other businesses. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that they're business owners too. I'm just saying other people who like they leave you a review because you didn't do what they wanted you to do and not because they did a bad job it's just not what you wanted it's because and, they came in expecting something different of you right. and that's not what you do and right. then they want to tear you down about it yeah how how do you do that how do you how do you go to a professional and say you know what like that's not how i would do it so i'm gonna give you a two-star review well do you own a restaurant <laughs> no have you put your your do whole you even, life and... yeah do you even cook you yeah. have options you can go that doesn't mean that you get to come to someone else's establishment and say you know oh well i give them two stars because they were open on christmas eve and decided to close early yeah like what kind of asshole are you <laughs> i know exactly which person you're talking about I'm, that's yep. unbelievable because i chose i didn't have to be open the day at all no and the staff that I did get to come in didn't have to be there. No, a lot of them wanted to be home. And the fact them. that I closed an hour early so that they could spend one more hour with their family on a holiday makes that. me the asshole. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I don't know. I feel like that's one thing, like, we, I didn't realize how I had to have some thick skin, like, in this industry because people say the craziest things. And then it's like, do I respond to them or do I look just as crazy if I say a response? Every like, once in a while, I just have to show how crazy I can be. But yeah, because <laughs> you have to. The reason that people are like this now is because they have been enabled, encouraged to do so. Mm-hmm. Because nobody would say, hey, that's not right. That's, that's why we made the video about people snapping at people. Don't you snap at any of my staff yeah. in this restaurant? You need their attention. You act like an adult. Excuse me. Can I get some assistance? Of course snapping and tugging all my and putting your hands on my staff is a no-no and it it is cause for immediate removal (laughs) i I do not care but that is part of the job that i 
I do not like. <laughs> I do. I will never. If I go to a restaurant and I don't particularly care for the food, it's not because it was done poorly. It's not because the service was bad. It just wasn't for me. I leave no review and I go. I don't go back. Yeah. That's same, what same I. Same kind of person. That's like, what I do. Like I know that that person is. You know, if it's a small business, you know, they're probably trying their best. And you know, why? Why tear them down? Or if even if I have a bad experience at a restaurant or another establishment and I could see that maybe this isn't the status quo, that it's an off day, I don't say I'll never go back. I just said it was a bad day. I'm going to try them again. And I might try them two more times before I say, oh, you know what? This isn't for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't say anything about it. Doesn't mean it's not for someone else. You're not going to leave a review to like bash them to try and convince other people not to support them. Like, But if the service is terrible because they treated me less than or... The food is terrible because I know that it's old or that because I know that, you know, you're trying to get me to pay $30 for something that I know that you bought frozen or whatever. Then that's another thing that I still may not leave a review on, but I know that I won't support it. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. Yes. And so the people who feel like they have to have an opinion about everything that everybody wants it, guess what? They don't. Not everybody cares (laughs) about your opinion, Deborah. (laughs) <laughs> that's not the person who left the two-star review i'm just coming up with a name sorry <laughs> we do sorry deborah's out there my mom's name is deborah sorry mom if you listen to it unless you I, left I just, unless you left jody a two-star review then i'm gonna have to call you later and we're gonna talk but <laughs> i just didn't want to say karen because everybody says karen so okay so jody what is what is next you've been talking about this dinner what do you got planned what's in the works that's it i'm, yeah. I'm gonna do these Right now, we're going to do the supper table. It's a supper club, but we're going to call it supper table because everybody calls it supper club. And each month, we will feature based on my upbringing. So, yes, I say I'm from Texas, so everybody's thinking like barbecue and Tex-Mex. And yes, Mm -hmm. that's a part of it. But another big part of my community was Filipino, Creole. Like I said, my grandmother's from Louisiana. I grew up where I'm from in Texas, too. It's a lot of German influence. So... New Braunfels, things like that, Fredericksburg. So all these things we'll we'll try to incorporate. My family's also on the East Coast. So we had the coastal summer last or coastal dinner last summer. Yeah. So things like that. You know what my dream is though. Let's let's say that we stay in this building. Well, I think we're gonna end up outgrowing this building too, but Well, that's the point, right? Yeah. Because then I would like to build onto it. I would like to create an outdoor dining experience that uh, is complete with a kitchen, mm-hmm. an outdoor kitchen. Because where I grew up in Lockhart, there's a barbecue restaurant where essentially it's like a smokehouse that they put a screen window on that you can sit right next to the fire and burn up. I don't know uh-huh. how those people are still alive. But I swear, <laughs> the last time I went to that barbecue place, it was the same guy with the, he had the mutton chops yeah. back when I was like eight years old and he looks the same. And I'm like, I feel like you should be dead because you're doing nothing but inhaling smoke. Maybe it's preserving him, you know? I it's guess, like... <laughs> I guess. But that is essentially what it was. It was basically an outdoor smoker that they enclose. And so you could see everything happening. I would love to be able to do that. And so like the dining experience does not have to be inside. It can be outside. Mm-hmm. But right now we're just going to do the supper club thing. Yeah. So this month it's winter season, Southern Comfort. So some of the things that you may or may not be familiar with next month, it's Valentine's Day in New Orleans. I got to try, so I got to try this month's ones because Jody had me try the 
the beer and food pairings to make sure that everything was flowing together. And man, was it good. I mean, <laughs> it was real good. Like, I I mean, and I told you I was hungry, so you brought me out like bigger portions of it too. I'm I'm gonna tell you like if if that was like and I don't even I feel like that wasn't even the quality that it's gonna be whenever you actually do it because like that was some of the stuff that you just prepped ahead of time because you wanted me to have the food and beer together so like you were just kind of warming it up and bringing it out to me and i was like damn if this was just like her warming the food up to do it like when it when this is fresh coming out for this tape like i'm really excited for it and i know like when this first when this episode comes out it'll be past your first one Mm -hmm. so it'll be on like the valentine's day one now it's like, is it Valentine's Day? Is it Mardi Gras? Is it a little mix. It's, of... it's at the same thing. It's at the same time because the the idea is that we're having these suppers the third Thursday of every month. Mm-hmm. So that way, I don't have to have like you just know third Thursday. Yeah. And so the third Thursday of February happens to be right after Mardi Gras, which is that Tuesday, and Valentine's Day happens to be that Wednesday. So we're not doing a Valentine's Day dinner on Wednesday. I know a lot of places are. I refuse. <laughs> I'm going to keep it on Thursday, yeah. but we will have a Valentine's Day themed. And so we will have a lot of French and Creole inspired mm-hmm. dishes. That'll be a, it's one set menu. There will be, there's always vegetarian options. But other than that, it'll be like this, this dinner will have a beer and wine pairing, but the next dinner will be a wine and cocktail because like, how am I not going to do some version of a hurricane for Talk right after Mardi Gras. Yeah, yeah, like how am I not going to do that? So same thing with like the third month. You know, I'm like, okay, so in March back in Texas, that's when we start really doing a bunch of, we're out, starting to go outside and start smoking again. So like what meats am I going to smoke and and what sides am I going to bring and what beer is going to go with it and and what whiskey? Because, you know, yeah, that's what we drink at home and tequila, of course. So yeah, that's that's kind of how I'm envisioning everything. Just basically, what was I doing? Who was I around? Who influenced what? What reminds me of the season, et cetera? When mm-hmm. I come up with these, and so if people want to get in on this, they got they got to get their tickets early. They got to go on the line and yeah, on because, the website. Yes, and I only have 35. This is a small, intimate thing. I don't want it to be where it's super crowded or loud or people don't get to know each other it's kind of like community seating because we're all going to talk we're all going to discuss about whatever it is that we want to discuss because mm. when we would have picnics back home you would have a community it wasn't just like a family it was probably like four families and we're all gathered around the picnic tables in the park and we move them around and we're all like shouting at each other like yeah. remember that one <laughs> Like, that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, that's how dining is, is supposed to be. And that's mm. when these people call me about, like, do you have TVs or anything? I was like, never. I will never have a TV in my establishment. Never. You want to do that? You do that at home. Hey, except for your Halloween dinner when we were playing some classic horror films. Well, but that's different. <laughs> that's different. If it adds the aesthetic, but if it's just something to distract you from the people no, that you're with. No, it's not going to be that. No. no. So. Cool. So yeah, if you are interested, I would definitely look up and go to is it ClaireBeesKitchenTable.com? No. ClaireBees.com. Just ClaireBees.com mm-hmm. and find that reservation for it. Get in on it because I'm sure like once it's filled up, it's probably gonna be a lot harder to get into the following month's seats, I assume. Yeah. So other than that, we got breakfast and brunch. 
what Wednesday through Monday. Like I'm like, well, I should know these hours. Of course, I know these hours. Yeah. How about every day but Tuesday? Every every day but Tuesday, breakfast and brunch coming out here. My personal favorite. I do build your own tacos myself. Get the biscuits and gravy. I don't know. What's your favorite thing on the menu right now? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever you're in the mood for. The I day. will be honest. I eat the same thing every single day. It's a taco. It's a taco. <laughs> it's the same taco. Yeah. I've. I'll be honest. There are some things I haven't even had in their entirety on my menu. I've had the components, but I rely less on what I think and what more other people think mm-hmm. before I really sell something. Because my taste, you know, I've been accused of being weird. Some of the reviews that I have are that my food is weird. (laughs) (laughs) I just take that as seasoned. (laughs) Yeah. But I do have a more eclectic palate than some people. I enjoy meat and potatoes, but I usually like like hot sauce or something on Mm. it. So, and I know that not everybody's like that. So I do have other people try the food. So I don't know. I mean... I've had shrimp and grits like so much. And I know that's so many people's favorite, but I cannot eat another one. (laughs) Here's the thing. I can't eat mine anymore, but I can't eat anyone else's. Okay. So it's not like nothing against yours. It's just general at this point. Well, the thing is, if I eat someone else's and it's not good, I'm going to be mad about it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not going to name You feel like you got ripped off? So Uh I'm not going to name names. Okay. But I had shrimp and grits from someplace with, we'll just say within 20 miles of here. And it was the worst shrimp and grits I've ever had. And it was so bad. It's like, why do you even have this on your menu? Like, have you eaten the food that you've yeah. made? Because if I can plop your grits while they're hot onto my plate and they look as if they didn't move at all, <laughs> they serve instant grits that have butter in them already. So why don't yours have butter in them at all like, or salt? Yeah. Oh, maybe you thought the shrimp part of it would flavor the grits. Okay, I get that. Then why does the sauce taste like nothing but water in Worcestershire? Spoiled by good food. I, it's not that. It's like, like I said, this, this you don't want yeah. my secret ingredient is I give a shit. <laughs> That's it. I think that should be on the somewhere displayed. Claire B's secret, I, <laughs> secret I, ingredient. I give a shit. I'm going to make a t shirt. <laughs> I love it. I'd buy it. <clears throat> but no well thank you jody i appreciate you coming here on your day off hanging out with me telling you saying that i don't have a day off. i know we just pretend that we have days yeah, off. yeah there are but, days that i'm not assigned to be here. okay on the day that the kitchen is not open right yes. yes so my pleasure but it was fun and i got to know you a little bit more yeah and i'm sure you know we might do this again another time and find out more stories because there are kitchen stories that we didn't get into, I'm sure. But... Oh God, there's so many horror stories. <laughs> yeah. Like the one time this old lady shit herself at a table. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's like, she's like, I mean, it's not <laughs> hilarious to her. But... <laughs> but yeah, so I'm sure there's some good stories. But all right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening in. If you want to check her out, go to clairebees.com. Go and find it on social media, Instagram, Facebook. If you Google search them, look at their hours that they're open before you give them a call and ask them if they're open. (laughs) That's not my pet peeve. That's not her pet peeve. That doesn't bother us at all. But no, come and definitely see her next time you're coming and grabbing a cup of coffee because we love Jody and her name is Jody. It's not it's not Claire. Not That's another t-shirt. <laughs> I'm not Claire B. <laughs> so, but no, thank you guys. And we will see you next time on Long Story Short.